I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. We would like to present you with a unique opportunity to help support a school in South Africa. Hermanus Christian Academy has been serving in South Africa for 31 years and serves 115 children from mostly refugee families. We have partnered with a non-for-profit organization here in the U.S. to help send tax-deductible funds to support the school. 100% will be received by the school to help their underpaid teachers, curriculum costs, and the ever-increasing utility bills. If you would like to help support the school, please go to school2u.com. That's school2u.com. Click on Promise 418 and leave a note designating it to Hermanus Christian Academy. We thank you for your generosity. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. So today we're going to hear from one of my coaching clients and we're going to go over and through her recovery story. So let's welcome Mel to the podcast. Hey Mel. Hi. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. Thanks for having <laughs> it's me. Great to have you. <laughs> it's great to have you. You're welcome. So why don't we just jump right into your story? I'm going to ask you some questions and we'll kind of chat. Yeah. Sounds great. Sweet. So what does re- uh, BPD recovery mean to you? Yeah. Um, I think that when I first heard recovery, I actually didn't realize that there was a pathway for recovery when it came to BPD. Um, and so I think that was the first thing is what, rec- or what recovery means to me is that it, it exists, it's real. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that there, there is a pathway for healing and renewal and even redemption as well. And there's a pathway for those things where before I think for a long time, I didn't know that to be true. And I thought that this was kind of just, this diagnosis was kind of just my lot in life kind of thing. So, yeah. Okay. So before, what what had you been told about BPD before, you know, before you realized, Mm -hmm. oh, I could recover? Yeah. I I remember when I first got diagnosed, I was like really excited because and and relieved because mm-hmm. I always knew there was something wrong. I just couldn't pinpoint what it was. And so mm-hmm. I think for me it was really this kind of okay, I'm going to do all this research and I'm going to figure out what this <laughs> is and I'm going to become super knowledgeable. And the more that I researched, the more knowledgeable I became, the more sad that I became. <laughs> because oh, goodness. Just, okay. Yeah, just because there's so much online about it. Yeah. And it's a lot of hard things to read. It's a lot of oh, yeah. hard stories of people who have been hurt and people who are hurt. And mm. I think the message that you would read online if you were to go on there is that this is a diagnosis that uh, is essentially chronic and you don't get better and people who have BPD are, you know, subject to a life of pain and turmoil and 
I think that mm-hmm. was my understanding of it at first, which was just really sad and depressing. Yeah, it is. And I feel like uh, um, most people really do have that that idea in their mind, especially now with everything going on in the media. It's like, mm. gosh, you know, it's it's just so not true, right? I remember being in school so long ago and being told that that wasn't true. Well, you know, when I was in, I think it was like 2007, it was when I was training, you know, in dialectical behavioral therapy in my, in my schooling. And I never had had that message. Now I had had messages about, you know, how people with BPD act. Sure. sure, right? Like, sure. <laughs> and if we really search our hearts and we look at the truth, you know, there's re- there's truth to that. There is truth to, you know, the the borderline personality disorder brain and how the, the tantrums are scary and they're kind of odd looking and, and not socially appropriate. But sure. to say that that recovery isn't possible all these years later when, you know, even there's new studies out saying that people with borderline personality disorder can recover even without dbt mclean just just released that information i thought that was so great even with med management oh how's that right like okay so you know it's it's so great that you're able to keep finding the answer right Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah i knew that there was there i knew that i didn't want that to be my lot in life And so I knew that I at least had to fight long enough to see if there was any other option besides that. Yeah, that's so powerful because the, you know, we can be such intense people, right? And then Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like that intensity is the thing sounds like it got you through. So why don't you tell us about how you got your diagnosis and a little bit of your journey to healing? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I was diagnosed in 2019, January of 2019. It was right in the beginning of the year. So, you know, just a really great way to start off the year. And oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I think it was on like January 4th. Um, and so, yeah, January 4th, 2019, it was like during the day I got that feedback. And I, again, yeah, I remember being so relieved and was kind of just playing back the reel of my life in many ways of just thinking about, okay, there is a reason why I act in these ways. And there is a reason why I Mm. process things in these ways that I don't like and the people around me don't like but I don't know how to fix it and I don't know what to do with that. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I kind of, um, I got the diagnosis, I reflected, and quite frankly, I really thought that everything was going to be like super great, roses and dandelions <laughs> from there. <laughs> Very, I think maybe it's like my whimsical side of my personality coming through of like, you know, waltzing around in the meadow. I have my answers. And <laughs> very quickly realized that was not the case. Um, and oh, yeah. yeah, I think reality kind of hit me pretty quickly when I realized that, oh no, I, I think this is actually going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, and 
yeah, that was kind Mm -hmm. of the beginning stages of where I was in terms of the diagnosis. Yeah, it's very, um, I, I love the fact that you say it's relieving. I think a lot of people feel that way. I mean, I'm sure that there are folks out there that would disagree, you know, but in general, it is relieving to have an answer, mm-hmm. right? Whether you like the answer or not, it's it's going to be relieving to have the answer. So it's good for clinicians to hear that message yet again, you know, especially, well, last month was uh, BPD Awareness Month, especially like with everything going on in the media, like don't not tell your clients, you got to tell them if they have the diagnosis, right? What yeah. if they never told you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think information is the more for at least for me, the more information I have, the more that I can do something about it. And also I think that Mm -hmm. kind of goes back to what you teach us in sessions is like the more information you have, the more responsibility that you have to do something different with that information. And so I think I found that instead of information and learning and growing to be scary and overwhelming, I tried to use it more as fuel to keep fighting forward. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, because when you have this, you know, when you're diagnosed with BPD, you've had like a rough time of it, you you know, right? It's fair to say that you know, you've had a pretty rough life prior to that. And, you know, for whatever reason, the reason doesn't necessarily matter in this context, but you Mm -hmm. do. And so you don't trust people. So if you don't have information and if the person you go to to seek information doesn't give that to you, you just keep, you know, continue to have this mistrust of the world around you, you know, and including yourself. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. It's great that you are willing (laughs) to go on that journey. It's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So what um, behaviors, thoughts, and feelings have changed for you since you've been in recovery? What was life like then and what is life like now? Yeah, for sure. So um, I think that in kind of this whole process of just recovery, um, I've noticed this pattern of um, or this change of just wanting to take like that extreme responsibility and ownership. And Mm. I think that's something that you talk about a lot. And um, that kind of had me start to focus on moral compass work, which is something that we do a lot is working on, you know, what are our values and how are we aligning appropriately to those values and those in that Mm. moral compass. And I think I realized early on that something that I really needed to work on was, um, integrity and being uh, and honesty and it's kind of funny because i i think me and you have talked about this before where i think i'm actually a pretty honest person when it comes Mm -hmm. to sharing with other people um but i'm not always honest with myself and i think that's a huge difference when it comes to your the way that you think and your behavioral patterns because um if you're not honest with yourself then you can't really you can't really move forward in the changes that you want to see um and you essentially kind of (laughs) keep yourself in a place that um is maybe not it's just it's not serving you well anymore (laughs) and i think that's what i realized was 
um, integrity and honesty and kindness and all of these things that we were working on in terms of my moral compass. Uh, discipline <laughs> is a huge one, and it's a one that I'm still working on now. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know why cleaning my room is so painful, <laughs> but it is. <laughs> yeah, that's and very so, honest. Absolutely. So, you know, things like that where um, kind of just getting to the root of things. And so, uh, yeah, in terms of um, more patterns, um, I think one where I felt like I really related to you and your story was like hyperbolic tendencies. And I think that was something mm -hmm. we really could like laugh about. <laughs> um, yes. Just because, yeah, I, um, I, I didn't realize how hyperbolic I really am until you kind of shed some light on that. And you know, like, I just think back to so many things that I've said, and I look back now, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I remember when we first started working together. Actually, you came working. You were in one of the groups. We didn't start mm -hmm. out in individual, right? So you were in a coaching group, and I remember, like, having to, like, reveal that people are hyperbolic is one of the hardest parts of, like, you know, coaching because, like, no, I'm not. No, I don't think you necessarily had that reaction, but there was some kind of hilarity in the resistance to it, right? What do you think? Yeah. No, totally. Totally. Because I think I kept on trying to convince you that, no, it's just my humor. I'm just being yeah. funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think, and I think that's true. I think something I was hmm. grateful for in terms of the hyperbolic tendencies is that you, when you told me, no, it's okay to be hyperbolic as long as it's used in a way that's not to hurt someone else and it's not harmful mm -hmm. to yourself. And so, yeah. yeah, like if you're using it to be funny and it makes people laugh and things like that, then that's okay. But you need to make yeah. sure that your hyperbolic tendencies don't put you in a position where you are per perceiving your reality falsely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or where you're overinflating stories or, you know, you're distorting mm -hmm. the truth. And that's why yeah. truth is just so important. You know, it really is. It's, you know, the, the idea that we have to be honest is the driving force in my mind in recovery. Because the minute we start validating, <clears throat> excuse me, validating the things that are invalid or the minute we start like overinflating stories and we lose sight of what actually happens, especially, you know, the work of recovery is taking, building a bridge between that subconscious emotional mind and our conscious reality. So mm. if we start overinflating things, even though being hyperbolic, I, you know, I said it, I think it's fun you know, for all, you know, makes us whimsical, right? For some reason, I'm thinking of like be the Gummy Bears show from a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that cartoon, Gummy Bears bouncing here and there <laughs> everywhere, random thought. I mean, there again is an example of how my brain is wonderfully random and whimsical and yours is as well. It's that mm -hmm. it's not accepting your personality, mm -hmm. right? Which causes a lot of dysfunction. It's not knowing how to reel it in. It's not knowing how to stop playing in that emotional playground and taking responsibility that makes it a problem. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. What were what were some of the impacts of you know on your life 
where when you were in that emotional playground what were some you speak to some of the issues that you had when you didn't accept your personality and you were you know dysregulated and kind of yeah 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 absolutely that was kind of something that I wanted to touch on too um I think there yeah there's been a lot of things over my life where I can see the intensity of my emotions draw Mm -hmm. me to a place that is just yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's sad. It's painful. Um, and yeah, I, there's, oh man, I could, I can think back to childhood. I could think back to college. Um, and even today where there has been instances and, um, I think, yeah, I I think when you are growing up, in a in an environment where um you you sometimes just don't know what's going to happen next where emotions um kind of rule your environment um that can create a sense of putting yourself in self-preservation and mm-hmm. wanting to control things and wanting to manage um yeah other people's emotions or your emotions or a situation in order to regain safety. And I think mm-hmm. when it came to a lot of the the main triggers for me in terms of, you know, maybe finding myself in any type of, you know, episode would be from feeling controlled, feeling like I couldn't control a situation, feeling unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as feeling like I need to protect myself. And so I think learning those coping methods at a very young age and then having that translate into the years to come um, and not really having any feedback on those um, that are helpful, I guess. I think that, I think for me, it created this big cycle of shame and guilt when you did experience some of those emotions or the intensity or because I think um, in the world outside, those behaviors can be socially unacceptable or can Mm -hmm. be inappropriate or can Mm -hmm. be uh, behaviors that are uncomfortable for the people around you. Um, And a lot of times people don't realize that the person with borderline is dealing with their own discomfort to such a degree that um, it's, yeah, it it translates outside Mm -hmm. externally. (laughs) And so, yeah. yeah. um, And it gets in the way, I would think, right? So mm -hmm. having, you know, feeling that discomfort yourself and also, like you said, needing self-preservation and needing to return to a space of safety and comfort, Mm -hmm. you know, has that individual, right? Like you and I have been there in the position where we don't even see how it's impacting other people. And then when we do see it, it takes a very you know, uh, honest reflect self-reflection. And it really does take some time for us to be like, Ooh, 
I know I'm struggling. I, I also see those people are struggling and I need to figure out what I'm prioritizing here. How am I going to rectify this dissonance in my environment, in my worldview? And I think, you know, yeah. the determining factor for a lot of people is whether or not that moral dilemma is something that they're willing to tackle. And you were definitely willing to tackle that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I love I, I love how you use the word dissonance because that's really what it is is living in these two places that both feel real and not being able to find a middle ground on that. And I feel like that's some of the most scariest parts of the disorder is being on the border. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And teeter-tottering that borderline and um yeah it's it's it leads to a place at least for me it led to a place of um just constantly feeling like i was just drowning in intense emotions mm-hmm. all the time and mm-hmm. um we there were a lot of times where i find myself and i i think i might say it wrong but i know that it's the right term um is it catastrophite Catastrophe. Yes. What is it? Catastrophizing. You had had it at first. Yep. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah. Where uh, once I understood what that was, I was very like I. It it felt like a huge kind of just like gut check, where yeah. I realized, oh, this is more than just me feeling strong emotions and feeling like I'm in the pit of despair. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. This is like, I am, I am in the pit of despair and I am allowing that, that, that like pit life existence to translate all around me in a tornado like atmosphere. (laughs) And yeah, um, yeah, I, you know, continuing on kind of with like my timeline, like, you know, in college was the first time where I really realized I had anxiety and I started mm-hmm. having, um, panic attacks a lot and I started mm-hmm. having night terrors. And, um, I think that when you, you live in a space of the emotional playground, as you were describing, mm-hmm. And you add anxiety on there, you add lack of sleep and then, you know, night terrors where you wake up and you still feel like you're in a dream and it's real. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. It really creates a lot of internal chaos that feels like you can't get out of it. Um, And I realized that really affected my relationships, my friendships, um, and how I viewed myself as well. And, you know, I, I got married at a very young age and I was coming from a place of woundedness um, mm-hmm. when I moved to university. So I met my husband um, or now my ex-husband um, at college. And mm. yeah, I came into that relationship um, incredibly wounded from the past, um, dealing mm-hmm. with a lot of intense emotions. I had essentially gone to college um, with 
it being a, a bit of a fork in the road. It was either for me, it was either I go to college and I keep moving on with my life or I don't mm -hmm. move on with my life and I end it. And I found mm -hmm. myself oh, just gosh. in a very like dark place. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, I, I, that was kind of the world that I was in when I moved to college and then I met this guy and I quite frankly, I think in many ways I was, I was looking for someone to save me without realizing mm -hmm. that's what I was doing. Um, yeah. I was looking for someone to save me. I was looking for someone to give me the answers. I was looking for a place, um, a desperately looking for a place of safety because I could not feel, I didn't feel safe um, inside myself. I couldn't find mm -hmm. intrinsic safety. <laughs> And so yeah. I tried to find safety everywhere else that I possibly could. Um, and yeah, that led me to a relationship. Um, and I got married when I was 22. And so still very wow. much dealing. <laughs> yeah, definitely young. Um, dealing with all of the, you know, things that make up getting married um, and getting married young. I had one more semester of college left. So in, even in terms of identity, I was a college student. I was someone who was dealing with like trauma and pain. And then to throw all of that on there with wife, I think I, I had no idea what I was in for. Um, and the identity work that would be needed to be mm -hmm. successful. Um, in those various areas of my life. Um, and so, yeah, just realizing that, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how much more you want to kind of dive into yeah. that from that point on till now. And so I guess I can open it up for you to ask me a question. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely like to go. It's such a good point that you make because a lot of people try to grow up in relationships, BPD or not. And I think it's very complicated to try to do that when you do have this, you know, um, diagnosis or CPTSD or, you know, trauma, anything in your background, because you're not only trying to grow up in terms of like self-discipline of cleaning your room, of like personal care and activities of daily living, but also like quite literally growing up in an emotional sense, mm -hmm. right? And in regulating emotions, things that, you know, I really truly believe that I should have learned, you know, some of the things that I didn't learn until much later on in life when I was very little. Like, hey, mm -hmm. what happens when you're sad? What do you do with shame? What do you do with guilt? Right. And I didn't have any of those lessons. And so growing up in a marriage or growing up in a relationship is is something that a lot of people experience. And then you start questioning, wait, like what did I choose? Was this the right choice? If I don't even know who I am, it, there's that that saying, right? Like, if you don't love yourself, like you should love yourself before you love anyone else. And I think it's very nice and sort of like fluffy, right? But I really think if it's if you don't know yourself, oh, how yeah, can you that. choose, right? Right? How can you how can you really choose the life path that you're on if you don't know yourself? Because then you end up, you know, in a position where I think other people can control 
your decisions, even though you are grasping for this illusion of control. So leading all the way up to today from you having, you know, that scenario, that situation where you felt like you needed to be rescued and you were seeking safety and you were, you know, not sure who you were. What is life like now? What has changed? Yeah, so much has changed. (laughs) (laughs) A lot has changed. Um, A lot has changed. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, so, um, yeah, I was in that marriage for about six years up until recently. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I think something that changed when, especially when I started working with you. So you, you mentioned starting off with the BPD group. Um, Mm -hmm. and I joined that in 2021, I believe in the beginning of that year. And so something that really stood out to me, um, that you shared with us is seeking truth and seeking what is true. And, um, I feel like my journey over the last year, uh, two years, however long it's been, has been seeking a sense of truth and what is Mm -hmm. real. Um, And yeah, through that journey, I have found just so many things that uh, I think my eyes were closed to um, before. And so, yeah, realizing that I was in a relationship uh, now that I look back and I've gotten, you know, a few other third parties in to help me kind of view things more clearly. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. realizing that I was in a relationship and a marriage that was incredibly unhealthy. Um, and that unhealth took two people <laughs> to mm-hmm. create an unhealthy scenario. And Um, I'm really grateful for the work that you and I have done because I remember, I remember you telling me, um, when I was kind of sharing with you, like, there's a lot of unhealth in my marriage and there's a lot of things that are going on and I don't know how much of it is me. I don't know how much of it is him, but I know that something is off here (laughs) and something is not right. And so I think that something that really motivated me to keep going through recovery was when you had described how in order for you, Rose, to be able to Mm -hmm. help me understand like the landscape of my relationship, what I needed to do was somebody had to become healthy. Somebody had to take those first steps (laughs) um, towards change. And you said once, if you take that step and you can really take charge of that, then we can start to figure out who is bringing what into this relationship. (laughs) And I think I was desperate for that. Um, I was desperate for clarity. I was desperate for um, not being in a relationship where I felt like I was constantly the problem and Mm -hmm. constantly feeling like um, I would have divorce hanging over my head, (laughs) where I would feel like anything that I did 
could potentially be used against me in some way, shape, mm -hmm. or form. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, I think being in that place long enough, you just get exhausted. And I think that's what happened to me. I got really exhausted. I got tired. And for a long time, I think I stopped fighting. Um, yeah. I kind of accepted that lot in many ways mm -hmm. um, until I had met you and realized that recovery was real and that it's yeah. possible. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of the biggest point of, or maybe the catalyst, if you will, of really going after recovery was I wanted to know what it looked like to have a healthy relationship. And mm -hmm. I knew that it was going to take me at least to start walking in that direction so that, um, because for me, it was like, if I am the one who is causing all of these issues, and if I am the one who is bringing so much pain and turmoil into our relationship, then if you're telling me that it's possible for me to truly make changes in that and reach mm -hmm. a place of a healthy marriage, then I'm all for that. Let's do it. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, and that's so, great. I mean, I love, yeah. you know, I love that perspective. I, I think, you know, I want to kind of point out that your willingness to accept personal responsibility, you know, it was the catalyst. It, it does, the, you know, there's a lot of, you know, kind of like talk in the field that, oh, well, it's hard to treat someone with BPD. I don't necessarily agree. I think it's hard to get the person who you're treating, and this is, you know, sometimes even existent in the medical field, to buy into having to, you know, really fully look at yourself, right? The, a level of honest self-reflection it takes to recover is, you know, kind of off the charts. It really puts yeah. you in a position where you, I feel like you grow even past people who you thought were, you know, like sort of enlightened people or very spiritual or very, you know, sort of like, you know, a solid people and not in this sort of self-righteous way, where like I'm better than them, but more in like a, I had to do so much self-reflection to get to the point where I saw the truth. And that's what you're saying essentially is that I told you, you know, you came to me and you're like, well, is this abuse? Am I abusive? Is this person abusive? What is going on? And, you know, I would have been very wrong to be, you know, able to tell you or anyone for that matter what the answer is. The The journey right. that I'm taking people on is not for me to tell you what I think. It's, you know, it's for me to teach you how to think for yourselves, because when you are in an emotional world, you're not thinking, right? You know, one of yeah. the biggest things, challenges is people will tell me, well, what's true? Like, how do you know that the truth is true? <laughs> because the truth exists in reality, right? Mm -hmm. There was something kind of on Facebook where we were, they were talking about truth in this very abstract way and truth is your perception and all these things. And it's, I'm talking about, you and I both can agree that the sun sets in the same spot every day, right? And it rises in the same spot every day. That happens every day. There's no denying it. Tomorrow we will not wake up and have no sun in the sky. That's just not going to happen, right? Or like sort of the rise and fall of tides <laughs> and things in the environment. That yeah. is where we start with truth. You know, and so my what I was encouraging you to do is hey, you know, your your counselor at the time I think was like, "Okay, this is as far as we can take you. Here's mm -hmm. your pill." Right? Mm -hmm. And I I was like, "Well, I I don't I can't I am not willing to accept that." You know, and I'm not willing to accept that for anyone who comes to me and you weren't willing to accept that either. And it is a catalyst because then your eyes are open once you start to see truth. Right. And you 
then are forced to build that build that bridge, excuse me, from your, you know, emotional mind to your logical mind. There's, there's just, you just have no choice when you're seeking clarity, right? It's so true. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Kind of like going back on the reflection thing. Um, I, rem- I have a friend um, here where I live and she, w- she, she always tells me whenever I check in with her, she always tells me, Mel, the, the work that I've had to see you go through and mm-hmm. really dig deep within yourself. Few people are willing to do that kind of work. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, I think at the time I, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, whatever. Like, thanks for the compliment, you know? Right. But, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, I look back and I look back in my journals. I look back through my reflections and I think back to, um, really, really diving deep and willing, being willing to look at the mirror, um, before Mm. you is really scary. Um, and it does require, um, not only willingness, but perseverance to keep going when the mirror and the reflection you see isn't quite what you, what you'd hoped. Um, and so I think, yeah, going back to even the truth piece of that is, um, you know, there's, there's one thing that I can say is that um, with BPD, you tend to be black and white thinkers. And Mm -hmm. um, something that I realized was that um, in black and white thinking, there is the part of that that can be unhelpful. And then there's a part Mm -hmm. of that that can actually be helpful. Um, Yeah. Because truth is black or white there is no gray and either it is or it isn't and Mm -hmm. for me um with recovery i needed to know that truth is truth and if i'm seeking truth then there is no ambiguity because the emotional world that i live in is already ambiguous so what's the point exactly really Mm -hmm. seek recovery then (laughs) yeah Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, absolutely. In the way that we're speaking of it, right? You know, I always say that there is, you know, there are different levels to it. You can go all the way through and get to the point where something is like really too, too much. And, you know, a person maybe is not ready, willing, and able at that time to be able to have that sort of honest self-reflection. But if you can make it all the way through, I mean, in my mind, the way it was and the way it continues to be, because the kind of growth that we're talking about isn't just specific to people with like, you know, uh, diagnoses. It's something that throughout my lifetime, no matter what I'm doing, I want to keep growing. I want to know what do I contribute to the world around me? What can I do better? You know, am I, you know, being the best version of myself in all of these different areas? And, you know, the more you can continue to do that, I think, you know, the more growth you experience and the better life that you have, right? But, you know, sometimes people just aren't ready, willing, and able. And I do think that if you have a clinic who is not, you know, in touch with that kind of truth within themselves, that that also can be a roadblock for many people in recovery, right? Right. You know, yeah, yes. my, uh, I'm, I'm quirky and I'm sure like, which I own that. That's not a dig at my character at all. I just, I, that's <laughs> totally cool with me, you know, right? Like, you know, I think that, I think sometimes 
you know, I'm sure that there are clinicians out there who are like, wow, like she, you know, I have extreme points of view. I do, you know, truth is true. You're right. And some people, especially 2022 would consider that to be extreme. I think that in that extreme you know, it's either true or it's not perspective, which we can argue whether it's extreme or not, right? But we'll say it is for the purpose of the way that I present, you know, this information, that is the driving force for many people because you cannot have truth in emotion. Emotions are not facts. Emotion is not truth. So you cannot have that, right? So if you don't have truth than you have emotion with BPD, you know, especially in that world. And then, you know, you have to question everything and everyone around you, right? You don't trust yourself. People around you don't trust you. You know, it muddies the water. So I'm so glad that you were able to find that truth and that you kept seeking and you continue to seek it. We, you know, Mm -hmm. still, still chipping away at like, what, what ways can I grow? Right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you maintain hope through recovery, though? Because after the group, you did come to me individually because you did have that that counselor tell you and 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 not, you know, not a dig on that counselor. I think that that no. person did the best that they could with what they had and, and yeah. very sweet. To you. I remember saying this person's so sweet to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I um yeah, that period of time working with her was so helpful because I felt like I was able to understand the disorder more. I was able to start building at least a foundation of skills. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that was, that was absolutely helpful. Um, Maintaining hope though. Um, I I actually have a little bit of a list here. (laughs) Okay. Okay. It it took, I feel like it's taken a, a bit of a village to kind of propel me along. But um, for me, the uh, the biggest portion of hope um, really, for me, goes back to the piece of spirituality it, that you've encouraged mm. us with. And um, I know that you've talked about that on the podcast where, um, you know, we all kind of can pull from that in the ways that we do. Um, I think for me, uh, where I find my spirituality is through Jesus and is through, um, Christianity. Uh, and Mm -hmm. that is something that really guides my life. Um, it's something where I find peace and joy and comfort and all of the things that ground me and help me to just find a sense of myself, you know, so much of Mm -hmm. the identity work that we have done together has been looking at the character of Jesus and um, not in a way where I feel like I need to be just like him. um, And I need to, like, it's this strict legalistic type of manner, um, but looking at Jesus's character in a way of wonder and awe of, Mm -hmm. wow, like, I want to be like that. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I want to love people well. I want to serve others in a way that is not Um, Mm self-seeking. And I want to display so many um, areas of his character. I also want to realize that I wanted to emulate his strength and his might. To have this diagnosis, like, man... 
it it takes strength and it takes might to get up and face the day a lot of times um and yeah. so yeah for me that was uh through jesus is where i found and i find so much of my hope and direction um and yeah i i honestly wouldn't be where i'm at today if it weren't for my faith and really taking the piece of spirituality seriously in my recovery um absolutely yeah so yeah that that there's that there is my community of realizing like Mm -hmm. i can't i'm i cannot be on an island (laughs) in recovery um it it just doesn't work uh, I think as people, we are meant for community. We are meant to bear one another's burdens. And so I was able to find a community and seek out a community where I could share my story. I could feel safe with them. And I knew they were trustworthy. And they, um, you know, accepted the challenge of doing life with me. <laughs> That's so key. That's so key. You're right. I mean, you have, you know, uh, spirituality and faith that connects us to something bigger and, you know, having Mm -hmm. Jesus as a role model. I love how you said it. It's not like, oh, I have to be perfect. I have to be like him in some like, you know, sort of like religious, which is a very law based reality. It's more like, why wouldn't you want to be like this person who is strong and kind and loving and weak and, and to have him as a role model and then to have this community who's also surrounding you and realizing, actually, I do need connection. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And I, I do want to do a little shout out to uh, my original BPD group that we had originally <laughs> were a part of. Um, man, we met in 2021 and we have not stopped meeting since then. <laughs> I love it. Um, you guys are such an awesome support for each other that you're right. I see yeah. some of you or, you know, connect with you guys individually sometimes. And it's awesome. So cool. Yeah. We've, it, we've grown such a deep friendship and connection with one another. And it's mm-hmm. a, it's a genuine community of the three of us who check in on a weekly basis. Usually we check in on zoom and we still see each other's faces and we chat and we laugh and we, you know, build one another up. And it's been so cool to see each of us and walk through the journey with one another because now there's been enough time that has passed with the three of us where we can Mm -hmm. actually refer back to the past and say, hey, you you have grown so much. And look where you were and look where you are today. And to have that, um, to have that community and that ability with people who are working through the same things that you are is so invaluable. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And you connect, you guys connect with each other through positivity, which I think, you know, that was something that I really was driving home. Like at the beginning of the groups where we would do the chats, it's like, okay, we can, you know, let's, let me guide this. Like, let's learn how not to connect in pain because the BPD brain really Mm -hmm. wants to do that. 
And I think you guys yeah. are three very different people from, you know, all over <laughs> different parts of the world, right? And just yeah. are able to just be so positive. I love it. It really touches my heart to know that you guys have are still connecting. It's awesome. So having other people who understand and yet who are encouraging you in positivity is, is key for hope. Yeah. It's awesome. Oh, did I lose you there? Maybe we lost her for a minute. She'll be back. We are having technical difficulties. <laughs> oh, there I'm you back. are. I'm back. Yeah, you are back. We were just talking about um, having that community. I mean, that's yes. so cool. Yeah. And Very hopeful. Yeah, the positivity. It's key. You know, it is key to have people. It's great to have to know people who have the diagnosis. It's, I think, in my opinion, it is even better to have people who have the diagnosis and who are seeking truth. Right. Mm -hmm. So people who, who don't who don't want that to be their all, their everything, their identity. And you really found that in those those individuals. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's actually such a great point is. Yeah. Finding your identity outside of the diagnosis and the disorder. Yep. It's so key. Absolutely. We can make anything a disorder. The more I go through life, the more I realize that, you know, I can look at a group of children, for example, and you can sit there and say, oh, that kid does that. Well, they probably have this or that kid does that. They probably have this. I mean, you know, or this person does that. It's your quirks don't make, you know, your character, right? It's the way that you present yourself in the world. And I really think that, you know, I spent my whole life up until recovery looking for love, right? Looking for someone yeah. to rescue me, right? But what I really needed was truth. I needed that all along. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think you, yeah, you, same. you have that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any other sources of hope that you want to share? Um, yeah, I, I think that for me, it was also... Um, finding a consistent routine as well. Like, yeah, it, I know that sounds kind of silly, but um, when you have something to look to um, on a pretty regular basis and yeah. it's, and it's something that you can also enjoy. Like, I think sometimes we look at routine and it sounds very um, just, yeah, strict and not necessarily. Monotonous, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And maybe limiting. I think sometimes yeah. we look at routine and we see it as limiting as in, as opposed to being freeing. And mm -hmm. I think that for me, my routine is something that I enjoy and it's consistent because I enjoy it. And I've created something that keeps me, you know, emotionally grounded um, mm -hmm. and and also just caring for my health. I don't think we talk about that enough when it comes to mm. men our mental health. Um, that also involves our physical health and it involves yeah. our spiritual health, as I had mentioned before. Um, mm -hmm. Health is such a broad term. And so I think really caring for what you put in your body, what you are reading, what you're watching, what who you're spending time with. Um, are all things that need to be brought into consideration and can bring a sense of hope in recovery. 
Yeah, absolutely. Your identity is what you're into. You know, I can think of my own life going from like being into, you know, very aggressive, like angry music and social justice (laughs) topics and, you know, all kinds of very intense and not very positive, pure things all the way to now, right? Like I just, I want to garden, you know, I want to walk outside. I want to like hang out with my dogs. I want to, you know, things like that. And I know you can relate cooking healthy food. You and I have connected Mm -hmm. on that and, you know, exercising, right? Like you take bar. I've Mm -hmm. actually going to be going to take a bar class, like things like that. Nice. Yeah. Like purity, right? Just like, like finding joy in life much. I'd much rather have that than the anger and the intensity because everything changes your whole paradigm, your whole worldview, excuse me, changes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or even, you Mm -hmm. know, still caring about causes, but doing it out of a place of health. And exactly. Yeah. And, you know, joy for, you know, what could be and, you know, things like that and going at it from a place of service as opposed to a place of anger and frustration. I think we all struggle with that. I think in our, in our day to day, that's fairly prevalent. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think for people who live with a disorder, it's a, it's a tight line to walk when we do um, live in an emotional world. It it can be kind of, it can get tricky at times and we have to just be careful. Absolutely. That's why, you know, I refuse to play on the emotional playground. <clears throat> if I find myself there, I, you know, I really want to come right back because being on an <laughs> emotional playground, it just doesn't do a whole lot, doesn't feel good. And it leads to a yeah. lot of, um, yeah, pain, emotional pain that is unnecessary. Right? Life's already filled with so many obstacles, right? We don't really need to add to those. So what advice do you have? for others Mm. out there struggling in your position. Yeah, absolutely. I was trying to go back and forth on this of like, what's the one thing that I would say? And I think for me, I had been reading this book um, uh, not too long ago. And uh, it it is from um, a Christian background, but I think it applies to all of us. And uh, the quote was, biology is not destiny. And I found that to be so powerful because mm. just because our we may have this makeup or our body and our brains have been rewired um, mm-hmm. does not have to inform and reflect our future. Um, mm-hmm. Our brains are capable of re- being rewired with time and energy and focus on recovery. Um, And we don't have to look to the past um, to define our future. And just because again, like we, um, our, our body makeup at this time still functions in these ways does not mean that that is our fate and that is our destiny. Um, and I found that to be so encouraging. And I hope that's Absolutely. encouraging to the people who are listening um, is that there's hope in, in this. And our bodies were also designed and created to 
heal and learn and grow and develop and be rewired. Um, And I think there's enough science to, to prove that. And uh, that's one of those areas of looking to truth. Um, That that's an area where I, I really hope truth is not ambiguous because um, that would be really sad if it was the case. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You know, we can call it um, uh, neuroplasticity is what, you know, the technical term for having a brain that can change that, you know, you say the brain is plastic, it can mold itself over time. So, you know, just because somebody told you that you have a diagnosis, and you know, in your heart, you fit that bill, no matter what it is, and doesn't mean that you can't grow and change and heal, right? Having a connection to the mind, your body, your spiritual spirituality, what you believe in, those things are all very important. I love that. Do you want to share what book that's from in case we have some interested listeners out there? Um, ooh, it's, <laughs> I would have to go run and get it. <laughs> that's okay. So what we'll do is I'll, I'll put it in the show notes and you can tell me Perfect. the name of the book and the author. Awesome. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. So we can get everybody kind of a sense of what, where that quote comes from. And really one of the reading materials, you know, one of the informational, I guess, uh, books that's helped you along your way, along the way. Oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. words. I think your story is just so powerful. I mean, you've really come from a place of just questioning everything around you to a place of understanding that even though you may still question things and you need to seek truth, that you are firmly grounded in who you are becoming and you're learning patience. You know, in, in a lot of ways you have to, but you're learning patience <laughs> and you're learning, right, uh, how valuable discipline is and how difficult it is and humility and just, you know, just the value of integrity. And so your journey is, is very powerful. I'm so happy that you were able to come on the show and share your story today. Me too. Thank you so much. I, I always you're hoped welcome. that I would get to a point where I could share my story. So this is quite a highlight. Thanks for listening. That was From Borderline the Beautiful, a production of Skeeter's Strength Mindset Coaching Systems. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at skeetersstrength.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Cast or any app you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. Next time on the show, we're going to continue our eating disorder series. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from last episode, so let's hear them. I'd love to hear whatever questions you have too. Just download that Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. So... If you like this podcast, not only can you download that Anchor app, but you can help us get this message out to so many more people. Head over to Apple and offer us that five-star rating and let me know what you're thinking about some of our material. The more stars and higher rating we get, the more people will have access to From Borderline to Beautiful. 
hope and help for individuals with BPD.